As we uh, officially have, have kicked off um, our Advent um, season, um, I hope that you appreciate Lisa's testimony and the scripture that Haley read um, to back it up. And, and I don't know where you, you find yourself this morning, but before we get too much further, I just want to say one thing about this, that a season of Advent should be, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how bad it's gotten, no matter how frustrating it is, no matter how empty you feel, no matter how poured out, a season of Advent should be a season of hopefulness. Because that's what this is, right? That's what we have with Advent. Advent is looking ahead with hope to what's next. Lisa, you're hearing from her testimony video that, you know, she had um, glimpses of hope, which really amounted a lot more to the things that she could control. But we all come to a point where we're at the end of ourselves where we can't control what's next. And at that point in time, we have a decision to make, right? Will we grab hold with both hands and try to just control and manipulate and get by? Or will we let go and we trust that God knows what he's doing and have hope that passes anything we could do on our own? And I'm going to be honest with you, when you get to the point where you find yourself in need of that kind of hope, like, it feels so out of control that you feel like if you let go even just for a second, you can't recover. But that's where God invites you. That's where God invites you to let go and see what he can do. And if you've never been in that position, then it's coming. And when it happens... Know what I'm talking about. You're going to feel like if you let go, like there's just no way. There's no way. But that's where God says, I've got you. And it's where you find yourself in that space. And I love what Lisa says too about, you know what? I had a relationship, I thought. But it turned out that what I really had was a religion. I had going through the motions. I had doing the right things. I had checking the right boxes. But that is a whole lot different than a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know, if, if you serve in our nursery or you ever get the chance, then, then, then you, you know Dax and, and you've, you've met Dax. But um, I, I, as Malia edited that and she showed it to me and I, was, I, I saw that for the first time, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I always thought Dax was pretty cool. But, but knowing, knowing uh, Lisa's testimony that, you know what? Dax is the reason that she knows Jesus. Well, now I think Dax is really cool. Um, like, I always um, wanted to be an evangelist, but I think Dax did better than I ever could have, right? So I just want to pray a prayer of hope, and then, and then we'll move on with the morning service. Um, but, I, but I just want to pray as we officially have entered into Advent. You've, you've seen the decorations. You've heard the music. You, you, you've seen the lighting of the candle. Um, but this is all about hope. And I know some of you feel hopeless right now, um, but there is hope and it's in the person of Jesus. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. We thank you for this season and what it represents. Uh, Father, we thank you for the idea that, that in Advent we are looking ahead um, with this joyful anticipation about this significant thing. And we know, because we're on the other side, we know that the significant thing is your arrival. But on the same time, we know that we are not just remembering this significant time, but we are also pushing ahead and we are looking ahead to to the time when you come back. And so, Father, in the midst of a hurt and broken world that doesn't work the way that it should work, we, in a season of Advent, are reminded that we have hope because you have come and your word tells us that you are coming again. And when you come again, you will right every wrong and you will heal every pain and you will wipe away every tear and you will make all things new. And so, Father, we look ahead with hope-filled anticipation. And God, we trust in you and your strength and your peace to get us through the day. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen. All right, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, at this point in time, I'm going to ask uh, the ushers to come forward. And I want to remind you or, or tell you, if you're visiting with us today, you are under no obligation to participate in this morning's offering. This is something that those of us who call Blessed Hope Home that we do to fund the ministries of the church. And the ministries of the church are all about 
um, getting the gospel of Jesus Christ where it needs to be, um, bringing uh, the hope of Jesus to a, a world that is in pain and turmoil and hurt. Um, and that hope is big, as you just heard um, Lisa share. Okay? Um, and so a couple of, of things I want to highlight is, as we get ready to pray, um, and, and we'll pray through these, but I want to ask you to be in special prayer for the Hessen family um, as they continue to grieve the loss of Maribel. And I want to ask you to lift up the Lutz family in prayer. Um, Bob, um, his health has not been great, Bob Lutz, but it took a turn for the worst. And so he's uh, in, in the hospice house in um, Hiawatha, and we could use prayers for their family for comfort and peace. Um, and also, if it's God's will, that, that Bob could come home and, and rest at home instead of um, there at that place. Okay, so let's be in prayer for them uh, as, we, as we enter in. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for, um, we thank you for um, the saints that you give us in this life, the people that we get to know and, and love and care for. Um, they are gifts of your grace. We thank you for Maribel. She was a gift of your grace. Um, and, and I think about, um, I wasn't here at the time, but, but as, as one of the elders was praying this morning, we think about just how influential, even at the beginning of the forming of this church, um, that Maribel's presence and her hope was. Uh, and the same could be said for, for Bob. Father, we thank you for him. And, and we just ask grace for the Hessen family, and we ask grace for the Lutz family. And I know those are just two. There are so many hurting people out there. We still um, grieve for, for the Stark family for their loss. And, um, and, and those who are experiencing anew this Christmas season, um, the, the heartache of loss from past years, it always seems to come up more at this time of year. Father, I just pray that you, in a fresh way, will bring hope to the hearts of everyone that grieves um, and that they would have hope in you, that your promises are secure, that you are who you say you are, and that you are coming back. And so, Father, we pray that. We pray that, um, and it's a prayer that only you can answer. And we thank you in advance for the way you're going to answer it. And we ask you to take this offering this morning and to bless it and to multiply it. We ask you to bless the givers and the gift to use it in mighty ways to bring more and more people into your kingdom so that while death may have its moment, Father, it will not have the final say in the lives of people that respond to your gospel. I pray that you'll help us do that. Um, and, and I pray that you'll use this offering to help us bring the gospel to people that need to know it. Father, we love you and praise you. Amen. Good morning, Blessed Hope. We are so glad you chose to worship with us this morning. Here are a few things you need to know this week. If you've been curious about covenant membership here at Blessed Hope, you have opportunities to take membership classes on November 25th and December 2nd. They'll be right after the service. We'll provide you lunch and childcare, and it's a great time to learn what it means to be a fully engaged member here and to ask any questions you may have. Mark your calendars. Our annual Children's Christmas program is happening Sunday, December 9th. If you'd like your kids involved in the program, see our Facebook event or talk to Vince for details about practice times or with any questions. We are once again partnering with Revolution Church to bring the community a Christmas Eve service. We'll have photo stations, cookies, hot chocolate. So plan to be here, share our event on Facebook, and invite your family, friends, and coworkers. A couple of uh, things I want to highlight from, from Malia's um, announcements there, just in case. Um, You've been hearing that one about the, the children's Christmas program for a while now. In case you didn't catch the date, that's next week. Um, and so our kids have been working hard and preparing, and we've had some great volunteer leaders that have been helping them get ready. And so we are really excited that next week we get to, we get to have a special kind of service. It's a family Sunday, so that means our children will all be upstairs with us, um, except for the kids that are going to be um, putting that, uh, that program on. They'll be downstairs getting ready, going through some final things. We'll sing together. We'll hear from God's word together as normal, uh, but it'll be a little bit shorter in format. And then our kids will come and they will lead us in, um, in just a fresh um, expression of worship of the Christmas story. And so it's going to be great. I would encourage you to be here. Uh, and that's a great Sunday. 
Um, husbands, if you've been bringing your children without your spouse, without your wife, or wives, if you've been bringing your children faithfully every Sunday without your husbands, listen to me, that's hard. I know it. I know it's hard. This is a good space for that. This is a good time to invite your spouse to come. It's a, it's a special, different kind of a Sunday. Invite them to come with, um, see what's happening with the kids, um, enjoy that, participate with that, and, uh, and at the same time, maybe they'll, they'll get to hear a, a glimpse of that gospel message. Not maybe, they will get to hear a glimpse of that gospel message and hopefully experience that Christmas story fresh, and that might be a good way to um, just to kind of enter into that conversation with them. So if, that's, if that describes you, that's something to think about going into next Sunday, but would really encourage you to be here for that. Um, it's always a lot of fun, um, and, and uh, especially to, to see the kids um, doing the best they can um, to remember their lines and um, have their costumes fit right and um, sing their songs, and it's just good times. Uh, so, all right. We are officially in, <coughs> excuse me, officially in Advent, and uh, we're going to do Advent a little different this year. Um, it's still about looking forward. It's still about hope. It's still about connecting with the heart of God and the person of Jesus Christ whom he sent. We sang that song, right? Um, God incarnate, meaning God in flesh in the person of Jesus, right? Emmanuel, God with us, right? We sing that song, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, right? God is present with us. Um, He is present with us incarnate in flesh um, through the person of Jesus. This is the moment where God has torn back the curtains of, of history and he has stepped into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate. It is a big deal. And if we do it well, our hearts will beat with his. Unfortunately, oftentimes there are moments where our heart does not beat with God's. It is a trapping of our culture always, but especially at Christmas where our hearts get out of alignment with God's. And alignment is critical. If you know anything about cars, which I don't, you would know that you need to get your alignment checked regularly. But I don't know much about cars. Sometimes when I'm on the road in my car, and this is not now, this is maybe about 18 months ago, when you're in the road in my car and you have to take your hands off the wheel for a second... I don't know if anybody else has to do that or if that's just me. You're probably not supposed to. I don't mean for like a long second, right? I mean, but you can only eat a burger and change the radio. Whatever, it's fine. Um, And, and, you know, but, but the car all of a sudden, instead of going straight like it's supposed to, like you assume it would, all of a sudden you're all the way over here. Um, in the wrong lane or, or almost in the ditch because your car's out of alignment, right? It will still go, but your car is out of alignment. My car got so badly out of alignment once that when Carrie took it in and said, I think we need to get the car aligned, he's like, yeah, and you need new tires because you've run this so bad out of alignment that these wires, you're not supposed to see those. <laughs> That's bad. Here's the thing about being out of alignment. You can still move forward. I still got where I needed to go, right? When, when my car was out of alignment, I would get in, I would start it up, and I would go, and it got me where I needed to go. I could still move forward. But it was breaking, right? Um, now, that time, the, the price tag was simple. I didn't cause an accident. Nothing bad happened. It was, it was about a $700 bill to put four new tires on, get the car aligned. It, it stung, but it wasn't tragic, but in our lives, right, when, when our heart gets out of whack and we're not aligned with the heart of God, we can move forward, but things start to get off kilter. And so I think um, as, we, as we think about Advent, we think about what is one of the things that so easily gets us out of alignment with the heart of God. And at Christmas time, it is money and the stuff that it gets you. And so we are going to spend some time this Advent talking about money and the stuff it gets you. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a, a, a pass up front. I'm not, this is not a, hey, it's the end of the year. The church needs more money. Write a bigger check. That's not what this is, right? This is me. This is the elders. This is the staff here at the church desperately worried about your heart. Check your heart. 
Is it in alignment with God's? Does your heart beat with God's? This is the time when what's in your heart will shine through really clearly. Okay? So this is that opportunity. And um, what we want to do a little bit here is I want to celebrate the cleverness of the title of the sermon series. How many of you have ever done white elephant gift exchanges? Okay, now what I've discovered about white elephant gift exchanges is that everybody does them a little differently. Some people, it's actually a nice gift that you buy. Some people, it's whatever crap you have laying around your house. Um, For some of us, it's a combination of, it's a nice gift that you would buy, but it's intentionally crap that no one would want. And in our white elephant gift exchanges, there is the added bonus of you must proudly display it in your home for the entirety of the year. So let's have some fun with these. (sighs) That was a small grouped white elephant gift that went to Malia Lee and her family. And I'm not sure if they've proudly displayed it or even used it, but it's disgusting and they have it. This one hangs in our closet. I'm not sure if Carrie has ever worn it once. She wore it once, probably in the house. She didn't go anywhere. In case you can't see, that is a fanny pack that I believe Joe Johnson maybe owns right now. I'm not sure. That sat on our kitchen counter. That is a toilet bowl coffee mug. That sat on our kitchen counter for over a year, and I remember the day that we had our new white elephant gift exchange, that went back in the pile, and now it sits on somebody else's counter. (laughs) California Raisin Toys, we also received one year. (laughs) If you ever go visit Mark and Barb Johnson... You will see that proudly on top of the cupboards in their kitchen. Live, fart, laugh. And this is my favorite. (laughs) Carrie and I have had this in our entryway for two years now. Um, Actually, two out of three years because we got it at one gift exchange. We gave it away the next year. And then um, Dan and Christy Lutz cheated and they wrapped was it a picture of it they wrapped a picture of it and we're like well let's take that small box because that we can hide somewhere in the house and nobody will ever have to see it but when we opened the small box it was a picture of said mooning elf with a Christmas tree tattooed on its rear end that we got to take home again and is now still in our entryway. Although the good news is about December, now at least it makes sense a little bit that it's in our entryway. Um, In September, it was weird. But, see, the thing with white elephant gift exchanges is you get to open this present that's wrapped so nicely. and and, And even though you know what you're doing, even though you know what you're engaged in, even though you know that the goal is for you to have to take home something that you have to display in your house that nobody would want to display in their house, even though that's the goal, they're wrapped up so nicely and it's in a package with tissue paper and whatever, and it looks like, oh, maybe this will be the one that's really nice. But it never satisfies. I mean, it satisfies in a completely weird way. (laughs) But it never satisfies. And it's kind of the way that stuff is, right? Money and stuff. We assume that money and stuff is going to make everything right. It's going to make everything better. It's going to completely satisfy what your heart's desire is. Where, Where that really comes into play, and it's this weird, sick thing about life, because where it really comes into play is during Christmas. During Christmas, where the whole point of Christmas is to celebrate the thing that will actually satisfy you, the thing that will actually bring you all of the desires of your heart and that should ease every longing you've ever had. This thing, this moment where you're supposed to be celebrating God in flesh, Christ with us, that's the time when we go nuts over these other desires of our heart that jump ahead. And not only does it show maybe that our heart's in the wrong spot, but it also just completely ruins where we're at. 
um, for the rest of the year. See, we all have a tendency to do stupid when it comes to money and stuff. We do stupid because we think it will satisfy when it won't. We do stupid because um, ultimately we just are more worried about the moment than we are eternal. And we do stupid because we're just not grounded in truth. And so I do stupid with money all of the time. And I do stupid with money all of the time because I'm not grounded in truth in the word of God. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend today and we're going to be a little bit more practical than normal. And we're just going to deal with 10 truths um, from God's word about stuff, money and the stuff that it produces. And so let's dig in here. Um, and then we're going to see maybe at least just in one little, little note, we're going to see an antidote to some of this. Starts with this, Proverbs 3, <clears throat> 9 and 10. God is not opposed to you having money. Sometimes we think when we start to talk about money and checking your heart, we start to think that perhaps God is opposed to money. And I want to tell you this up front, God is not opposed to your having money. Um, you are to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. The point here being that God actually, sometimes when you honor him with what you do, he will actually cause an increase in what you have. He's not opposed to you having. Sometimes we get this weird thing where we think that God must be opposed to, to money and things. God is not opposed to money and things. God wants to bless you with money and things. Now, please don't get weirded out here. I'm, I'm not standing up here to tell you that God wants to make you rich, right? You got to go home and turn on the TV and listen to somebody else if you want to hear that God wants to make you rich. I'm certainly not suggesting that if you send me faith money, that God will multiply it in your bank account miraculously, you got to go listen to a different TV show if you want to hear that, right? What I'm telling you is that God is not opposed to you having things. God is not opposed to your taking trips. God is not opposed to you having resources. What God is opposed to is to you valuing those things more than you value him. What God is opposed to is you honoring money and things more then you honor him. What God is opposed to is you making those the crux of your life and the measure of your success instead of knowing God and the one he sent, his son, Jesus Christ. God is not opposed to you having. Scripture is littered with people that have, and we don't read about them in, as that being a bad thing. We read Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, God lauds him in his wealth. He, he opened up his tomb for the crucified Savior. We read about a wealthy businesswoman in the New Testament, Lydia, and we read about nothing but accolades for Lydia as she opens her home to the traveling missionary Paul and provides for his needs. Right? God is not opposed to you having and if you've ever gotten the message from the church that it's bad for you to have or it's bad for you to do or it's bad for you to, to go on trips or to do those things, then, then you heard the wrong message from the church because the church isn't telling you that it's bad for you to have those things. What the church is saying, what the church should be saying, what the church should always say, what should burn in your heart with the truth of the Holy Spirit that lives there is simply this. God wants you to honor him before you honor yourself. God wants you to honor him more than you honor your things. God wants you to desire him with the utmost of your being more than he wants you to desire other things. Right? That's, that's it. That's all it is. It's not hard to track. It makes good common sense. But at this time of year, more than anything else, we forget it. So metaphorically, it would be like this. You all, unless you're here and you're a teenager and your parents still make you do it like we do, um, but if you're older than a teenager, probably you've stopped making Christmas lists. But imagine, maybe not. I see some smiles on some faces like, no, I still make a Christmas list. How many of you remember when you were younger? Um, you, the kids won't know this now because it doesn't happen, but like the, like the magazines would come in the mail and you'd go through it, and you'd circle what you want, or you'd fold corners, or you'd do whatever, and that would be like, here, right? It's like that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong 
with having things and the desire for things, but here's the thing. In, in, in this weird, cheesy, I get that it's cheesy, just deal with it, right? Jesus should be at the top of the list. What do I want? I want Jesus, right? And everything else flows from that. God isn't opposed to you having stuff. He just doesn't want it in the way. We keep going. God doesn't need your money. Um, I hate being snarky, but like Crefo Dollar, he needs your money. He's got a new jet to buy, right? Um, I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. God is set. He is all good. Here's what he says um, in Psalms 50. He says, I don't need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, right? All the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need what you've got. God is not covetous for what you have. God is not interested in getting what you have because he needs to accumulate more. It's all his anyway. He could take what he wants. He could create more. It all belongs to him. God doesn't need your money, but here's what God does want. Here's what God is desirous for. God wants and desires your heart above all else. Jesus says in Matthew, that it's, it's impossible to love God and love money. And when we say money, we can mean any stuff, money or the stuff that it gets you. It is impossible to love God and love money or the stuff that it gets you. And here's what he says. He says that where the desire of your heart is, right? That's where your treasure is. Where your treasure goes, that's where the desire of your heart is. And so basically, God does not need your money, but what God wants is your heart because where your treasure is, that's where the desire of your heart is. So, so here's a question for you. What do you? You're set up to lose or you're set up to know the answer because we're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, but what's the best present you've ever gotten? Right? Was it your Apple Watch? Was it your PS4? right? Was it your new phone? I don't know. I mean, you you fill in the blank, but I think you know what the answer is supposed to be. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the answer. It's supposed to be Jesus, right? Because where the desires of your heart are, right, they match your treasure. What you treasure most What's your favorite gift? What's the favorite thing that you have? What is the thing that you brag about to your friends? What is the thing that they show you when they ask you, you know, like, what'd you get for Christmas? Well, look at my new watch. Look at my new shoes. Look at my sock. Do you love my new vest? Do you love my new suit? I've never said that. (laughs) Whatever it is, check it out. Right? This is my new treasure. Or is it Jesus? And, and again, I'm, I'm not mad at Christmas presents. Trust me, I like Christmas presents, right? I like Christmas presents, but the issue isn't what do you get for, for Christmas? The issue is um, does God have you? He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Check your heart. Does God have all of your heart or is there something in the way? We keep going. Um, Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Listen to me. You've bought this lie. I know you've bought this lie. I fight this lie every day. Right? And the lie is simply that more money will make you happy. But the reality is simply this. More money, more stuff, better stuff, newer stuff, bigger stuff, prettier stuff, manlier stuff, you name it. It will not make you happy at least not in a way that lasts. And that is never more true than at Christmas. And as adults, we struggle with this because we always think, well, if I just had that one thing, if I had that one thing, then that would satisfy if my car were newer, right? I mean, maybe it doesn't need to be new. Maybe it just needs to be in alignment, right? If my car were newer, that would satisfy. If my house were larger, that would satisfy right? If I had this new gadget, that would satisfy. If my laptop weren't really a laptop, but it were a tablet, then that might really make me happy. And I could stop wanting other stuff because I'd finally have what I need to have. And we, we have this desire, but here's the deal. It will not make you happier. And if you have kids at home, little kids, or you can think back to when you had little kids at home, you know it, right? How long do they play with that toy before they're done with it? How long? My kids were desperate 
they were desperate for things when they were young and they would put them at the top of their list and they wanted them so bad and they would get them and then maybe they would play with them, maybe not. But it was, it was weeks before they were done with them. Travis, Travis, oh, when he was younger, it was video, well, it's still video games, but now he buys his own. But it was video games and video games and he desperately want these video games. And so you'd go out and you'd spend $70 on a video game and he'd play the video game and he'd play, the, I mean, he played the video game. And then it was like two weeks later and he's like, I think I'm gonna sell this back. And I know you paid 70 bucks for it, but when I sell it back, I can get $12.95. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing, apparently. That is a racket if you've ever... And then they're gonna sell it to somebody else for 50. Come on. But, but it's this thing because, well, you know what? I thought it was gonna be... Eh, it wasn't very good. Or it was good for a minute, but I beat it, so now I'm done with it. It doesn't satisfy anymore. Ultimately... More stuff will not make you happier. And it is a lie of the devil that just this one more thing will finally be the thing that satisfies. But it doesn't work. And it keeps you away from God. It, it, it keeps your heart from beating with his. Truth number four, Luke 16, 10. If you are faithful in little things, you'll, have, you'll be faithful in larger ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, um, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Listen to me. More money will not make you more generous. I've had that conversation I don't know how many times with people that, well, I'd love to be generous, but I just don't have the resources to be generous. You know, and, and, and I, I hate to be the guy that says, well, that's not true, but hey, I'm going to be the guy that says that's not true. Listen, look at me. It's not true. You have everything you need to be as generous as God has asked you to be. That's it. I mean, that, that's just a simple statement. You have everything you need to be as generous as God has asked you to be. But sometimes we choose, our, because our heart beats differently and there's something in the way between me and God, I choose to run after different things and I choose to chase after different things and I haven't created margin in my life and there's no space. And so when the opportunity and God lays it on my heart to be generous, I don't have space because I've wasted or I've run after or I've done something else with what he's given me. And so now here I am in the moment where I'm faced with the opportunity to be generous. And what I think to myself is, if only I made more money, then I could be more generous. But God knows your heart because what you're really saying is, if only I made more money, I would have so much more stuff and I still would be in a position to say, I can't be generous. It's the conversations I have with people that say, you know, I can't tithe. I can't tithe because I don't make enough. It's like tithe literally means 10%. So I don't care how much you make or don't make, you always have 10% of it. That's just math, right? That's why God doesn't give you a threshold that you're supposed to hit, right? It doesn't work that way. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not here asking for more of your money, but what I'm saying is when, when God says in scripture, this is what you're supposed to do, but because of the choices I make, and there's a, a, a difference in my heart and how it beats in his heart and how it beats, then there's this problem that happens where I, I end up thinking, well, I'd love to do what God says, but I have to wait until I make more money to be generous. I would love to help my neighbor who is, um, who, who is, is unable to, to pay her electric bill, even though she tries hard. You know, she's unable, she's got kids, she's got mouths to feed, she's got all of this going on, she can't pay her bill. I'd love to, right? Let me search on my new iPhone X. That's a thing, right? 12? What, what iPhone are we up to? 10. 10, thank you. Okay, I was gonna say, somebody knows. Like, we're all like, well, we can't say it now. Stop it. Let me search on my new iPhone 10. I'm with you. And, and find out, find out, Oh, no, that electric bill's too high. I can't pay it. I guess I'll go back to playing Crossy Road or whatever you play on your phone, right? Because we don't create margin. We think, well, if I had more, I could be more generous. But God's given you everything you need to be generous. And when, here, here's the rub, when you're responsible and honest with the little bit he's given you, then guess what? He gives you greater responsibilities, Right? Number five, you don't have to be rich to be greedy. Hebrews 13, five says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, period. 
A, a lot of us think, well, well we, we've avoided the trap of greedy just because we don't have much money. Um, it, that's a lie of the enemy. Greed comes from the heart. Greed comes from the heart, right? And it's the covetous desire to have more and to amass more at the expense of, of other people, at the expense of what you can give, at the expense of these things. And, and ultimately, that's problematic. But you don't have to be rich to be greedy. Greed happens in your heart, not in your checkbook. How many of you just pause, side note, just out of curiosity, how many of you still own a checkbook? That's cool. That's still a thing. All right. Travis opened up a bank account at Farmers, and, and you know, he, he opened up his account, and they sent him a book of checks. <laughs> I was like, what do I do with these? Just put them in the drawer. <laughs> you won't need them. He's like, I got this plastic card, though. That's cool. Right? But, but greed doesn't come from your account. Greed comes from your heart and the wanting more and more and more. And greed unchecked, because that's not God's heart. God's heart is not greedy. God's heart is so generous that he pours out. He pours himself out. God sent his son. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God sent his son. God wants to give everything. Greed, the wanting to amass for yourself, the wanting to have more for yourself, what that is is that's something that flies in the face of God. It's something that keeps our hearts from beating with God. So you need to you got to be careful. Six, God doesn't promise everyone fairness. This one stings. These, these sting a little bit. Matthew 25, 15 is this parable of the talents. And he says, um, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Listen to me. God has not promised you fairness in this. And, and, and I, this is one that we struggle with in this culture, right? Because we want everything to be equal. We want everything to be the same. And, and God, I'm not saying that God is for inequality. God is absolutely for equality. We should be for equality, right? You know, if Carrie and I go to do the same work and we do it with the same amount of effectiveness and the same amount of ability, Carrie and I should be compensated for that samely. Please don't take this to mean something I'm not saying, right? But, but the idea here is that God hasn't promised that I will get to have everything that you have. God hasn't promised that I will get to have everything that you have, and God hasn't promised that you will get to have everything that I have. God has not made that promise because God, God doesn't operate in that realm. The point of this story that Jesus, <coughs> that Jesus is telling about, about the talents or the bags of silver um, is about how faithful we are in using what God's given us. But, but in this, we see he gives five to one because that one can handle five, and he gives two to another because that one can handle two, and he gives one to this guy over here because this guy can't handle it. I guess. I don't know. He gives one bag of silver to this guy. I don't know why he only gives one to this guy and five to this guy. I just know that he does. And in the entirety of the text, that isn't questioned. It isn't explained. It's just matter of fact. I have often operated under the assumption I have often operated under the assumption that if I could handle more, God would have given me more. I mean, with all sincerity and, and, and um, just being dead serious, right? I'm a pretty well-educated guy. I have multiple master's degrees. I've been to college for a long time, right? If, if you look at other people and, and, and what their earning potential is and these other things based on, on what they have accomplished academically and, and things in this. I, I mean, if I had chosen to do something else, like, like I would probably make a significant amount more money than I do. But I, am, I operate under the very clear presupposition that if God wanted me to have more, that I could have more. And so what that tells me is that there is, there is something in me that this is the threshold of where God um, wants me to be. And God wants me to be here because I don't know what that looks like. And how many of you think, you know what? Yeah, I'd be fine. I'd be fine. Think about how many people win the lottery. They're not fine. They're not fine. Right? You know that as well as I do. They're not fine. In fact, Carrie bought a lottery ticket not that long ago. So, so this is, this is, yeah, this is a thing. Carrie buys, how much was it? What was it up to? Because you only buy a lottery ticket when it's up to like 300 million. Because like, like 200 million. Nope. I don't need that. 
whatever, I don't know. Um, so Carrie buys a lottery ticket, but, but she won't keep it. So what she does is she takes it over to Melanie Davis. <laughs> well, you didn't win, so it's okay. She takes it over to Melanie Davis and is like, look, I don't want this. I don't want the drama. I don't want the responsibility. If this ticket wins, here's what you give me. You keep the rest. <laughs> I don't want it, right? Um, she said that, and I was like, oh, how mad am I going to be if Melanie wins? But I have everything I'm supposed to have. God doesn't promise to give us all equality in this, but what God says is, I will give you what you're supposed to have, and if you are faithful with it, then I will take care of you. And that's it, right? But he doesn't promise that it will be the same for everybody. We have different abilities. We have different talents. We have different resources. That's just the way it is. God doesn't apologize for it. We should expect it to be that way. That's right, isn't it? Yep, that's what I'm at. Seven. <clears throat> wise people, Proverbs 21, 20 tells us, wise people save money. Fools spend everything they have. Now, this is not in there, but there's probably a parenthetical statement that exists somewhere. We'll find it in some ancient manuscript somewhere that says, especially at Christmas. Wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend everything they have. Wise have wealth and luxury because they don't spend everything they have. What happens is we in this culture, this we are worth it, we desire it, it looks awesome in the commercial, that person looks really good wearing it, right? I mean, we just want it, right? It's new, it's bigger, it's better, it's awesomer. It will satisfy me. My soul will be free. I will have everything that I ever desired if I just get that thing. And so what happens is we get and we spend. And we go get and we buy. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes when we're tight, sometimes when there's not enough money to cover or when I'm leveraging my future to pay for my now or when I'm charging everything because I can't afford it all or whatever it is, if we're really honest with ourselves and we really think this through, the reason that we're broke now is because we had to have then. And if I'm broke now, it's because of the decisions I made now or it's because of the consequences of the decisions I made then, right? When I decided that I didn't need my house to be this large, but I bought it this large because it was better, you know? And in mortgage payments, what's 50 extra thousand dollars, right? Or, yeah, I mean, I could have bought that small used car, and had a reasonable car payment, but, I mean, this was a big, shiny car, and, and I wanted it. And so, yeah, I know it's double the car payment, but it's worth it, right? Or I could, my old man is one of the only guys I know that still has a flip phone. We've talked about this before. I know there's some of you that still have a flip phone. Who is it? Who's got one? Proudly, right? Right? So, so, so he's not the only one I know. But, but he's still got this thing, and he staunchly holds on to it. Like, he is not letting that go. In fact, it is a sad day for him when he goes to get that replaced and finds out they don't make those anymore, <laughs> right? But, but this is what he's got, right? But, but in the moment, like, man, I, I, you know, when I went to get a phone, right? When I, cause, I mean, I'm as guilty of this as the next guy. When I went to get a phone, right, because the one that I had that was really old wouldn't work anymore, so I went to get a new one, and I'm looking at all of them laid out there, and you know, of course, when the guy's showing them to me, he starts over here. And he, this one sounds so awesome, like I don't even need to go look at those. Give me this most expensive phone that I can have. And now I have it, and you know what? I, I make phone calls on it. I will text people on it. Occasionally, I will find out the score of a game that I missed on it. I could have done that on this cheap version. But what happens is, we create this for ourselves. So there's no margin for emergency and there's no margin for generosity. And when there's no margin for generosity, our heart isn't beating with God's. Carrie has such a generous heart that there are times that she just wants to give and give and give and give and give. But we also are not awesome at saving instead of spending everything we have. So what happens is there's often tension in our relationship or tension in our hearts because we can't be as generous as God has laid on us to be generous because we were stupid on the front end. And our, it's between us and God then. Something, we've allowed something to get in there and drive a wedge. It's problematic. 
Keep going. We got three more of these. Borrowing money is not sinful, but debt is dangerous. Just know it. Just as the rich rule the poor, the borrow is servant. That word there is a nicer version of slave. Slave to the lender. When you borrow, and sometimes borrowing makes sense in this world we live in, right? So when you borrow, that, that's dangerous. I would go so far as to say that, that it could be foolish, right? There is some borrowing that makes sense. There's a lot of borrowing that is foolish, right? Credit cards are foolish, when you end up using them, borrowing, that's what you do with a credit card. You're borrowing unless you are disciplined enough to pay it immediately, but, but you're borrowing on lunch that's going to cost you a whole lot more than what the lunch costs you later on. When I went to college, because I was not wise at this, when I went to college, by the time I graduated from college, I owed about $3,000. Ask me what I had to show for it. About 50 pounds. Because it was, yep, I can pay for that pizza. Yep, why not go to Village Inn to study? Go to, by the way, listen, don't. We all know you're not studying at Village Inn. You're eating pie and french fries and avoiding the work you're supposed to be doing. But we went to Village Inn to study at least three nights a week. Did I have money? No. Had a credit card. Got out of college, had 50 pounds, um, and about three grand in pie and lunches. That's foolish, man. It's dangerous. Something else God tells us about money. If you can work, you ought to work. God isn't against welfare. God puts welfare in Scripture. Uh, God gives a law. It's called gleaning in the Old Testament. And what gleaning was, was when I went and harvested my crops, I was not to go to the edges, and I wasn't to go through a second time to get what I missed the first time. And the reason was because I was to leave that for the poor so that they could go and glean it. They could take what was missed. They could get the edges, and they could take it and have it threshed and have it prepared, and they could have a source of income and food. Um, God is not against welfare. God has instituted welfare. We see in the early church in Acts that the church took on the responsibility at the prompting of the Holy Spirit to feed the widows, right? To, to distribute food to those that needed food. God is not against welfare, but look what he says in Second Thessalonians here. We gave you this command. Those unwilling to work don't get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work. We commend such people, I'm sorry, command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Here is just a simple truth about money and the stuff it produces. Go get some. God's not opposed to you having it. It meets some of your needs. So go make some. Don't rely on other people when you are able. Don't rely on other people to do it for you. But earn some. Last thing, God blesses those who give. Luke 6, 38 says this, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, I want you to be careful. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. That's not what that means. But what we read, and we read it again in Corinthians, that, that God loves a cheerful giver. And what happens is when, when God gives me abundance, he gives me abundance so that I can have some, but that I can give much. And when you are generous with what God has given you, the word says, then guess what will happen? God will give you more. Not so that you can be like, yes, man, I gave 10, I got 20 back, I'm ahead. Right? But when you give out of what God has given you, he gives you more so that you can give even more. Right? It is God's desire to bless you richly so that you can bless others richly. That's God's heart. Right? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have stuff. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't own things. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't enjoy the blessings of what God has given you. But in that, God has called you to be generous. And God has called you to give. And when you do, 
he responds in kind. Why? Because it is a blessing for you to be able to give and be generous with other people that are in need, and he gives you the opportunity to do it even more. This is how God's heart beats, and we see it so clearly at Christmas. And so this is an opportunity for us to check our heart and for us to step into that. And there is nothing I just shared with you that's rocket science. Those are 10 truths. They're not rocket science. They're wisdom. Of course they are. They come from the Word of God. Nobody is going to argue with those things. They come straight from the Word of God. The problem is that in the culture we live in, that it's hard for us to remember these things in the heat of the moment. It's sometimes easy for us to hear them on a Sunday morning and say, you know what, that's good wisdom, right? But it's hard to remember when we go out and we actually try to live life. So I'm going to give you the secret as we, as we move past this, okay? The secret to this is, is simpler than you think, but it's a discipline that you have to learn. And the secret to this is something called contentment. It's called contentment. The key to not allowing money and stuff to come between our heart and God's is contentment. Contentment, very simply, listen, um, there are fancier definitions out there, but here's what you should know about contentment. Contentment is this. It's wanting what you have. Wanting what you have and having joy and giving thanks in what God's given you. Can you desire more? Sure. But that should never get in the way of having, giving thanks and having joy for what God's given you. Contentment. Being satisfied in God. And he has given you everything that you need. Look here. First, First Timothy maps this out. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we come into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if you have enough food and clothing, just be content. This is Paul talking to his protege, Timothy, about what it is um, to have Christ-like character, what it is to pursue godliness. And he says, look, man, just be content, right? Be content and be godly. And that by itself is great wealth. That is everything that you need. Now, Paul doesn't say, And don't save, don't work, don't plan a vacation. Paul isn't saying don't do those things, right? But what he is saying is, you know what, though? Don't ever think that is what your heart has been longing for and missing. What your heart is longing for and missing is godliness, is God. So with God and contentment, man, that is great wealth. That is everything you need. That is eternal. It's not temporary. It is a small... um, but often overlooked truth that temporary things will never be enough. Eternal things will always satisfy because temporary by its design goes away. It breaks down, it rusts, it's destroyed. But eternal things, they will last forever. He keeps going. Um, If we have enough, let us be content. But People who long to be rich fall into temptation and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Contentment. Being satisfied in God is the key to having your heart beat with God. And if you're chasing contentment, it's pretty simple where you find it. Abiding in Christ leads to contentment. Abiding with Christ leads to contentment. How do you abide with Christ? You spend time with him. This Christmas season, you want your heart to beat with God and you want to have contentment, you want to chase after this? Well, then here's the deal. Spend time with God. Pray. Read scripture. Go to church. I mean, those are pretty simple ways to abide with Christ. You show up where he's worshiped. You read the word that he wrote. You spend time talking to him through prayer. As you do those things on a consistent, regular basis, you're abiding with Christ. And we have the ability to abide with Christ because he pours out everything we need. He is what satisfies. 
okay? And, and we're going to do this now. We're going we're gonna to get a step in practice of abiding in Christ. We are, we are going to um, enjoy a time of communion. Jesus says this, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And that's not grotesque and horrible. It's not zombie-ish, right? This is a picture of communion. Anyone who eats my flesh, that is, as he breaks the bread and he, and he shares it, he says, this is my body, my flesh. It's broken for you. When you eat it, anyone who eats this, anyone who shares in my suffering, in my crucifixion, in the fact that I died for them, and they drink the, the, the wine or the juice or what he refers to as the blood. This, is, this represents the blood in the new covenant. It's poured out for you. It's a sign of the new covenant. It's a seal of the new covenant. When you do this, then you're abiding in me. We're going to practice abiding in Christ as we take communion. Because when we do this, our hearts beat with his and, and nothing has to get in the way. Okay, so I'm gonna ask the elders to come forward. And we're going to take communion together. And as we take communion together, um, I want you to take a moment and I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to make sure that your heart is right with God. Because if there is something in your way, then it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be confessed and it needs to be put away. This is a significant thing, right? God has given us everything that we possibly need. And so as we come together for communion, this is a way that we abide in him. When we celebrate him, we have contentment in him. When we have contentment in him, our heart beats with his, and everything makes more sense. So this is that opportunity. But this isn't something we do lightly. Communion, um, as a reminder, this is something that is open to all Christians. You don't have to be a member of Blessed Hope Church to take communion with us. This is something where we say, though, that we want you to be a member of the family of God because that's what this celebrates. This celebrates his death and his resurrection, which is how we enter into the family of God. It's the best thing we need. It's the only thing we need. But we don't want to take it unworthily either, so I want to ask you to take a minute and I want to ask you to pray. I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray with me. And I'm, I'll, I'll confess to you that, that uh, there, are things, there are things in my heart oftentimes that get in the way of my communion with God. And so for me to come to the communion table and to enjoy this celebration of his broken body and his blood that's been poured out for me and what it represents, to do it with things that are between God and I, it's disrespectful. And so this is a moment where we can examine ourselves and we make confession. And I, listen to me, it's not trite. I tell you this, I have sin to confess. I harbor frustration and irritation. I, I do this daily it's, and, and I encourage you to do it daily. But if you haven't in a while, this is the opportunity to, to confess. Say, God, thank you for everything that you've given me. Let my heart beat with yours. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you, if you've got something in your heart that you need to confess, do it now. Do it where you're sitting. If you need to come up here and, and sit um, at the front of the church to do it, you could do that too, but you could do it right where you're at. It's just a matter of confession. Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you as we prepare to take communion, and we just ask that you would help us make sure that our hearts are aligned with yours. Father, as we've talked about money, maybe that resonates in stuff and, and desires of our heart and where our treasure is. Maybe that resonates with some people and, and they have to confess that, God, they have valued you less than the things in their lives or the money in their account. But God, for, for others of us, maybe, maybe the, the issue here is that, that we just have found ourselves in a space where, where we've let anger and bitterness and frustration and things um, lash out and cause problems. And, and ultimately, God, we have to confess that too. And for some people, maybe there is secret sin in their heart that they harbor, something that you know full well, but you and you alone know it. And God, before we come and take communion, we have to confess that as well. Because as we come to the communion table and we eat the bread and we drink the juice, Father, we are celebrating the fact that you died to pay the penalty for our sins and that you rose from the dead, conquering death and ushered us into a new covenant. And that is not something we can take lightly. 
It cost you dearly and you poured it out freely as a gift for us. Father, we can't take it lightly. So help us to deal with the sin of our heart and the pride of our heart and the frustrations of our heart, whatever it is that keeps us from beating with you and help us to take communion with renewed hope. Father, we love you and we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that your body was broken. We thank you that your blood was shed. And we thank you that you did it with the glory of the Father and with the salvation of his creation in mind. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.